Hello, welcome to our Thursday night, Planetary Health First, Mars Next. We got our special guest here, Ankit, and he is what you would call nothing more than and much more, a fire ninja. And he will be leading us through everything and anything fire. Of course, there's many stakeholders, there's many groups in fire, and he is not an expert on every live group, but uh, he will share us uh, much of his knowledge tonight. So, as we get going, um, thank you so much for you who is, uh, are attending. This is uh, one of our favorite discussions on fire and interoperability. We all realize in healthcare that this is essential to getting it right. And um, anyone who's here tonight, please uh, begin making some polls. Let us know where you're from. Uh, you know, where are you? Uh, you know, this if you're in California, if you're in Virginia, if you're where you might be, you know, background, are you a provider? Are you in pharma? Are you a healthcare administrator? Are you a vendor? Are you a health tech? Are you in uh, pharma, clinical trials? Please let us know. And if you have a question, what is your big challenge? What are you wanting to learn tonight? Uh, and uh, anyway, um, let's just start Ankit, can you just share with our audience a little bit about yourself? Let us know. You are the fire ninja here. Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, uh, thanks for that and really pleasure to meet you all. Uh, my name is Ankit Agarwal. I'm the director of ISS with New Wave Telecom and Technologies Inc. I'm currently leading the cutting edge healthcare interoperability platform as a services solution implementation for various healthcare organizations, which include large scale, blue plans, commercial health plans, state Medicaid agencies, and health information exchanges. I am a Wharton graduate and have 17 plus years of experience transforming healthcare business processes for various health plans, including Optum, Anthem, Blue Shield of California, various state Medicaid agencies and Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Currently, I'm part of Health Level 7, which is also known as HL7, and I'm part of various working groups. We have been involved at the core in setting the fire-based healthcare interoperability standards to reduce billions of dollars in healthcare waste and to improve health outcomes for Medicare Advantage, Medicaid, CHIP, and federally qualified health plans. I also published healthcare interoperability trends to increase awareness and also share deep insight on fire interoperability on my YouTube channel, which is known as Fire Ninja. Awesome. Thank you so much for that background. And uh, I think the big thing that we should start with tonight is just sort of setting up, uh, you know, the challenges currently that our U.S. healthcare industries faced with. Just if you could give us a little landscape, of course, uh, most of us are, are deep into healthcare, but just give us a little landscape uh, of this, uh, Ankit. Uh, so, Michael, as you know, that uh, we are in 21st century. We expect things uh, to be automated. We expect uh, healthcare to be convenient. We expect it to be cost effective. Comparing to a lot of other industries, we are not there. Let's say that I live in East Coast and I have some severe health issues. I travel to California. I don't have access to my records. I don't know if I'm allergic to some medication, if I have access to my medical records. 
So that these are the kind of issues that day-to-day -day American ban fisheries, they run into. So that's where the, we have uh, the fragmented healthcare. So we invested a lot of money in cutting-edge technologies throughout the healthcare system. But we, uh, I still feel we are living in the stone age. And we are struggling to deliver the Netflix-like consumer experience. It is not a good sign when health insurance and the post offices, they have similar low customer satisfaction ratings. When it comes to convenience, emergency departments are the healthcare equivalent of your local 7-Eleven, which are widely available, open all the time, and stocked with necessities. But can you imagine that I end up getting admitted for something simple like uh, acidic flux, getting admitted for it and paying $10,000 from my pocket? It's not worth it. You don't need to be admitted to urgent care or the emergency facilities for the care. And the worst part is they still don't have access to your medical record. They don't know your medical history. So you may be having a heart attack, but they may be doing a lot of tests in the meantime, trying to figure out that what all are your health symptoms? Uh, are you allergic to something? So the, we are working on improving the care for the beneficiaries and trying to figure out how do we uh, uh, reduce this fragmentation in healthcare, reduce the cost for the ordinary citizens, and also improve the healthcare outcomes. I think that was well said. Uh, I, th I think later we're going to have a, a guest uh, or, or someone one from our audience looks like they're working on a consumerization, a consumer app, a startup, building a platform all about that consumer experience. Because, yeah, you're hitting right on the head. I don't know if she was uh, if we got her uh, just especially for that question, but uh, she popped up. That's Brit. Um, so hopefully uh, she'll be with us later on to do uh, some more questions. So Britt, please share with us a little bit of how you're solving this problem with, uh, you know, just helping. It's hard to think that, uh, imagine that $10,000 just to go for acid reflux. Um, so um, tell, tell me a little bit what you see, um, you, you know, what, what are we currently doing right now? What are you doing? What are some of your uh, stakeholder meetings doing to help overcome these challenges right now in the healthcare industry? Yeah, so uh, Michael, you rightly put together the key point here. We are at a uh, situation where we are at a technology challenge, which lies in the heart of the fragmented care. How do we get all of the data from multiple providers, peers into one place and display it in such a way that doctors and patients can benefit? There is a solution. However, it is around for years. It is called Fast Health Interoperability Resources, also known as FIRE. While the name is mouthful, the concept is simple. FIRE is an architecture built in a common language for digitized medical records available in multiple healthcare applications in the healthcare ecosystem. It could be your electronic health record, claim processing system, population health system, medical devices, or it could even touch pharma, biotechnology, and pharmaceutical industry. FIRE, it is a well-defined next-generation framework for all of this data, which can be read by any system to support real-time secure data exchanges using APIs and modern web-based technology, regardless of the programming language used to develop it. HL7 is working with some of the industry's top names in the healthcare fire interoperability to set standards for data exchanges. And they have been fully supported by various federal agencies, including Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services and Office of National Coordinators, also known as ONC. So the way this data exchange is expected to work is 
there are around 40 plus industry work groups which are working on defining the standards for various aspects of healthcare whether it's day-to-day -day claims transactions it could be data exchange between various payer entities it could be bulk data transfer it could be even dental data exchange between dental providers the way this uh, technology is supposed to work is that a patient is given the option to use the consumer app that consumer app needs to be registered on a fire platform it needs to be approved by the payer admin or the entity which is approving this app to be connected to the platform once the app is approved it has uh, issued the client ID and secrets. That's more like your key to the kingdom. That means the app is connected now. Now you have the platform, you need a beneficiary or someone to access your data. You are uh, implementing the open ID connect and OAuth 2.0 based standards. So basically you're not only verifying the beneficiary's identity, but also verifying the app credentials and tokens just to ensure that the app is valid it is approved for connecting to the platform and then you are using restful apis for transferring that data which is already stored in the fire format in your fire store so basically we are at a stage where we are working on standards but also trying to use technology to ensure that while we have the standards we can come up with our own architecture to see how best we can implement those standards for the benefits of the beneficiaries or various healthcare agencies wow um, so is this going to happen or it's, I mean, do you, you shared with me earlier on the show, it's like, is this what's going to happen? We're going to see in 2030 is, I mean, where are we right now with this? So, uh, HL7 has been there since almost, I'll say 30 years. It's in existence since 1987. So the, uh, the founder, Graham Grieve, in fact, I met him recently in one of the HL7 fire connectathons in Baltimore, very knowledgeable. There, there's a lot of work happening around it. But it picked up his team and uh, uh, around six years back when Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, they decided to provide 57 million Medicare beneficiaries access to their claims. Wow. It's not easy. So the, they went ahead with implementing something called Blue Button 2.0. It was based on the AWS cloud framework, but the base framework remains the same. You accept the you insert the claims data for these 57 million Medicare beneficiaries in the system in the standard fire interoperable format and make that data available through some 60 plus apps which are approved by CMS for members to access their data. And of course, the, the authentication and authorizations are performed when someone is accessing. So the journey started with blue button 2.0 and then cms uh, enforced this mechanism on various commercial and state medicaid agencies to ensure that their population seems to be in um, most need for healthcare. they need to have access to their data so that's where cms and onc they came up with patient access api mandate with a july 2021 timeline still there are some laggards in the market but i will say that we have achieved almost 90 percent compliance but there are other mandates which are in works right now where they are trying to see that now the patients have access to their data but they have access to their data only from their current health plan they may have been with a previous health plan in past is there a way they can get access to all that data so that's just one of the requirements but there are a lot of other requirements that various stakeholders are working on well, let's get to Britt. Uh, she has a question. It's a little heavy, a little, uh, but I want you to, um, if you can see that, uh, what she's working on, I'd love to get your feedback on, 
you know, basically what you see um, using this data, this medical data, plus the other 99% of the data that contributes to health. Um, what is your take on uh, Britt's question, uh, Antic? What, what do you see? Uh, what are your thoughts? I completely agree with Britt. So when we are allowing the beneficiaries to use these consumer-facing apps and have access to their data, it's definitely going to provide them more insight. They can make informed decisions. On top of that, the providers will have access to their entire medical history. So we can uh, perform preventative care. We can do n number of other measures. Now, there are other things that, uh, that are in works. My team currently implemented a solution based on patient cost transparency. I personally know a lot of people in industry who went to emergency for some care. They got some hundreds of thousands of medical bills. They could not pay it. They went in medical uh, debt and they went into insolvency process. We are trying to avoid those kind of scenarios, right? So uh, not only we are trying to ensure that beneficiaries have access to their data, but we are also trying to ensure that there is full transparency in the system. Mm -hmm. We know what kind of expenses to expect when they have to go for care. They don't have to wait for a week to get prior authorization from their provider. It could be done by a click of a button in real time by electronic prior authorization. So there are a lot of those things, but this is just a start. I wanted to just share uh, Susan, who I imagine you might even know. I, I don't want to put you on the spot. I just did. Sorry. But uh, she's working on some CMS rules, interoperability rules. Um, what do you suspect she's working on? Can you share a little more about that? Yeah, so the, uh, I personally work with four of the state Medicaid agencies. I believe Susan is talking about the patient access implementation that we have performed based on the CMS and ONC mandate. As I mentioned, this was an extension of CMS Blue Button 2.0. My team was personally responsible for building Blue Button 2.0 for Medicare beneficiaries, and that was extended. Now think about it, Michael. We are talking about Medicare Advantage. These are the people who have most severe health conditions. These are part of Medicare population. Medicare does not want to provide coverage because they know that these people, they will be visiting n number of specialists during their visits. The cost of care is very high. So the, there is always emphasis to provide them access to their medical information, to their clinical records, to their entire lab history, uh, provide them access to their formularies so that they can make the informed decision. So definitely a lot of work is done by various stakeholders, including the state Medicaid agencies in this area. What, what gets you excited right now with what you're seeing in these multiple stakeholders, the 40 groups? Tell me one of the things that, that you're seeing. So uh, we are at a stage where uh, the stakeholders, they do understand that the, this is now or never. We need to work together as a team. We need to collaborate and implement these standards. The acceptable, uh, acceptance levels are very high. We have to look for the future. The beneficiaries, they may have access to the data, but how do we make that data meaningful? So first thing is, if we have that large amount of data and with the upcoming mandates like peer-to-peer -peer data exchange, beneficiaries will be able to request their data transfer from their previous health plan. You will be having a, a, a billions of claims, but how do you utilize that information? We definitely need to think about having some sort of analytics-based solution where we can look for some sort of trends which can help us improve the healthcare, but also it will be reducing billions of dollars in expenses. I recently wrote a white paper on the electronic prior authorization. 
just think about it. Most of the providers, they charge us money to submit our prior authorization. I pay $25 every time my doctor has to submit prior authorization. It's a paper-based process. Now you think about it. Every piece of paper, when it gets stretched, you're impacting the greenhouse gases because it gets burned. Eventually, you're increasing pollution and it costs you money. I calculated the amount of money we will be saving by implementing electronic prior authorization. Where not only the beneficiary will get to know the prior authorization result in real time, but also you are reducing this paper-based administrative waste, which will save you trillions of dollars. So the key is all these initiatives like peer-to-peer -peer exchange, patient cost transparency, electronic prior authorization, even dental providers exchanging data among themselves, right? So the importance is to implement these mandates in meaningful way. If the mm -hmm. organizations, they go about just following the mandate and implement something to meet the regulatory requirement, we will never achieve the real outcome. The key here is to encourage the use of these technologies and utilize the data for meaningful purpose. That was, I, I can see how you are uh, just so passionate about this and, uh, and you probably don't sleep. And if you do, you're dreaming about fire. Um, we have a question from the audience from Charles. Thanks for joining us, Charles. And uh, if if you could um, help understand, like help Charles with this question about accessing, you know, he's he's his question is how can we access a large amount of data best and utilize in urgent or emergency situations when providers need to understand? Okay, he's talking about the longitudinal record. Tell us about that, accessing this huge amount of data and then putting it together longitudinally. Um, I, yeah. So, Michael, uh, I'll break it into two pieces. Let's talk about longitudinal data. So, the as I mentioned, the healthcare interoperability journey for most of the organizations started with CMS interoperability route. Now, with CMS coming up with phase two mandates, which includes your electronic prior authorization, peer-to-peer -peer data exchange, your patient cost transparency, uh, adding some metrics for these providers to provide information to beneficiaries on their prior authorization. That is called longitudinal health record. Basically, you will have access to your data, not only from your current uh, plan, you will also have access to the data from all other entities in the gamut, which are ready to share the information. When you have access to that data, that data will be made available in a Firestore. The data will be made available through these third-party consumer apps which will be connected to the platform in a secured way based on OpenID Connect and OAuth 2.0 based protocols for identity purpose. When the data is available, you can always utilize it for meaningful purpose. There are third party apps, famous ones in the market, and I'm not going to name anyone because I'm not on the show for branding purpose, right? So <laughs> there are some apps which have cool interface. You have the option where you can apply various kinds of filters to see that data. So the key here is if you are implementing something like electronic prior authorization, where the, you work with your provider, they submit the prior authorization request to your health plan. The provider asks you to help them submit a questionnaire. They have access to all your information. Once they have access to all your information, they can utilize that for meaningful purpose. Or as a beneficiary, you need to provide access to that information. So that's why we have mandates like provider to provider where as a beneficiary, either you can opt in or opt out. Basically, what that means is if you opt in, your provider will be able to share your information with other provider. So basically, they will start sharing information 
that information will be meaningfully improving your health outcomes as well as reducing the cost related to these healthcare expenses. So Ankit, um, is this bringing about greater concern for HIPAA and security? Uh, tell, tell us, if what are we doing to put in place? I mean, every day you're hearing about ransomware and hacking, cybersecurity issues. Tell, tell me about that. So uh, there are certain controls that are being placed by all of these organizations, especially the organizations which are building the healthcare fire interoperability solution. First thing first is most of these solutions are cloud-based. So there are controls implemented by service providers like um, AWS or Azure that everything is within that uh, boundary. Then comes your data flow. You need to ingest the data and convert it into the standard fire interoperable format. The data ingestion happens through your secure protocols like AES-256, FIPS-140-3. These are the highest secure standard where the data transfer is happening in a secured way. Now, you always lock down your uh, Azure environment and especially the Azure, uh, let's say, AWS Firebox. That's the file store within AWS. Or within Azure, you have Firepass. You lock down those uh, environments just to ensure that no one can download the data from that environment. You need to have a standard VPN or some other security controls to get inside that environment. There is no way you can connect to even your Outlook to uh, try to get any data outside that environment. So the data remains secure. Now it comes to accessing that data. We already talked about OpenID Connect and OAuth 2.0 based protocols. There are standard security controls built in and defined by the industry where not only we are validating the beneficiary's identity against a identity management solution, but also we are validating that it's a valid and genuine app and also validating that they have the tokens. And just to go one step deeper, right? So when we talk about these apps having tokens to access the data based on the beneficiary when beneficiary is trying to connect, there are uh, durations for which these tokens are issued. So we have controls built in at that level that if we want the token to get expired within a couple of hours, we can even do that. So basically, not only we are trying to ensure that the data is uh, ingested in the system in a secured way and no one can access the data and definitely no offshore access to the data for even any implementer. All the work happens in US, the data is maintained in the US-based, cloud-based data centers. There are controls built in to ensure that the access to that data is defined in control way. Now, of course, it's up to these individual health plans that when they are providing this member's information to the identity service providers, they are on top of it. Because if in case, by mistake, somebody provides some incorrect or wrong beneficiary access to the data, you're exposing someone's PHIPI. But in terms of solutions, the solutions are built in the most secured way that we won't be impacted by any ransomware or any other solution. Wow, that was a very thorough and uh, detailed explanation. Thank you so much. I have one question that that is just like, what is the biggest barrier? Like, what do you th see uh, industry-wise uh, that's slowing us down from adoption with, you know, with fire and, and making this happen. So uh, one key here is that it, uh, it costs money for all the stakeholders to uh, implement these solutions and to sustain them, right? So we work with a lot of uh, small health plans and uh, small providers. They don't have that kind of budget to invest in, uh, for this purpose, right? So 
currently there is no grant or funding from the federal agencies to these stakeholders to implement these solutions it's easier for the bigger plan to go ahead and figure out a few hundred thousand or few million dollars to implement these solutions but for the smaller providers it's always a challenge that it's a mandated requirement but whether do do they have fat enough pockets to market these solutions and make their beneficiaries start accessing their data so some of the key barriers are access to this information to ensure that the, these the, uh, service providers, if they do not have enough means, they get some sort of uh, the federal support to implement these solutions. And then the, the overall, it's all about all the stakeholders agreeing to ensure that interoperability is the way forward. If we just implement it for the sake of mandate, you will never achieve the end results. Do you, um, you probably touched on this in some of the other questions, forgive me, but how does FIRE help in bringing discrete systems and stakeholders together? Can you just share a little more about that? Yes, yeah, so uh, all of these systems, the, as you know, that a lot of these systems are legacy systems. They maintain data in different formats. Somebody may be having data in, let's say, DB2 database or uh, Oracle database. These uh, systems are not interoperable. So let's say uh, I work with Optum and Optum is using DB2 database and they want to share the data with, let's say, Epic and Epic does not use DB2. So the, the, uh, they, they will not be able to share this information. So with the use of FHIR, we are converting that data into standard FHIR resources. And when we say FHIR, it's more like your XML resources or JSON resources. It's not a rocket science. Let me tell you that way. It's pretty easy. There are standards in text defined by these HL7 FHIR implementation guides. What we are trying to do is when we receive data from any entity, we need to build some logic to standardize that data. So let's say, for example, you can uh, put male or female for gender, or uh, someone can say M or F, or someone can code it as zero or one in their system. So basically, the, not only they are storing data in different formats, but they have different notations within the data to represent certain data elements. When we go as an implementer and implement the solution using FHIR, first we do is we come up with definition. We try to map their data against standard FHIR elements, which are defined in the FHIR-based implementation guides. Then we convert the data into FHIR JSON format to make it available. So the key here is that the, the data needs to be in the standard interoperable format in order for these stakeholders to be able to exchange information. So before you got involved in this, were you, did you do uh, coding? Were you a developer? Tell me a little bit about your technical background because this seems highly technical. Yeah, so I'm a computer engineer and techie by my heart. But uh, most of my career, I have worked into the uh, requirement field. I started my journey as a management consultant. I worked with one of the big MNC, uh, helping all these major health plans to solve their uh, various uh, business process outsourcing problems. Slowly, uh, I moved into the uh, state Medicaid agencies work to help them support with their Medicaid modernization projects. We had issues where some of the vendors, they were trying to implement the same solution across multiple Medicaid agencies. There were uh, implementation issues. Based on my domain expertise, I have a fellowship from Association of Health Plan. I have 
deep understanding about each and every aspect of healthcare business. So based on my understanding, I was pulled in to help them streamline those processes. Eventually, I started moving towards working with other agencies like CMS, ONC, Veterans Administration, Workers' Compensation Program. And finally, uh, we reached a juncture where industry was ready to work on these interoperability issues. And that's where I was blessed enough to be involved with it, uh, some of the industry's best to work on fire-based interoperability. Wow, that's a great summary. It, it really shows you were at the right place at the right time uh, with your engineering background uh, to really move along. And uh, that must be really exciting to, you know, be part of CMS, Medicaid, all these um, agencies that support millions and millions of people with their health care. So that's really awesome. Um, what What is it that, uh, like, right now with where you are um it where do you see things in the next six months to 18 months uh in your landscape with conferences to and and uh to push this a little bit forward what is what's like on your immediate schedule uh with the next outlook in the next you know let's say year or so with fire implementation yeah, so these are exciting turns michael uh we are looking at cms phase two requirements we have a proposed rule where CMS is trying to solve multiple aspects of this problem. CMS is saying, now the beneficiaries have access to their data. Can they make that data available to their providers so that providers can uh, provide them improved care? Can they access their data from their previous payers by use of peer-to-peer -peer data exchange? Can we implement electronic prior authorization so that uh, we reduce not only the expenses, but also beneficiaries will have more control working with their providers. So these are some of the mandates which are in pipeline, which are expected to be approved within next quarter. Now there will be a run in the industry to implement these mandates within next 24 months. So we are looking at the, uh, all these plans. They need to implement these solutions probably by January 2025 because they need to provide some reporting metrics to CMS by January 2026. What do you see as like the biggest um, catalysts or things that could really speed it up? Is there a new type of healthcare worker involved? How do you, I could see if we're doing the Medicare population, like I look at my mom, she's in her 80s. She can do an iPhone, but man, an app is like, you know, um, so I'm just thinking with trying to really get the the utilization, getting people to get on board. I'm thinking of there's got to be a translator or, or, you know, I don't know. Tell me what you're seeing needs to be in place to help this uh, happen. I think uh, there is a general misconception in the market that uh, this is a complex solution. Of course, implementation is complex, but uh, uh, these uh, third-party consumer apps, they have made it extremely easy for beneficiaries to access the data. Let's say, uh, let's take your mom as an example, right? So only thing she has to do is download that third-party app, which is approved by her plan, enter her login information, and voila, you will see mm -hmm. all your information. So everything is happening behind the scene. We have made these solutions uh, uh, in a way that it's most convenient for beneficiaries to access all their information. And we are not expecting people to uh, make decisions on their own. We are only expecting them to have access to their data. So if they are going to a different provider, 
they need access to their data they can simply provide it uh, provide their cell phone to the provider with all the data displaying on the screen and that will be useful also we are trying to cut down the expenses see mm -hmm. i go to a provider i'm not happy with the services i change my provider the new provider is not interested in the medical reports from the previous providers right so I, as a patient, I can always say that I've gone through all this lab work. I'm not going to go uh, through this mm -hmm. again. It's a torture to my body apart from the expenses that I'm going to incur, right? So mm -hmm. uh, it's the general mindset as well that we want to make this information available, but we also want industry to come to the terms that this is the time where we have to acknowledge that if I'm a provider and I get some commission out of it, and I'm being blunt here, right? A lot mm -hmm. of the time we feel that even the providers say that they get something out of ordering additional level, right? So we all have to come to consensus that, hey, the beneficiary is providing this information. This is a genuine information based on whatever health plan is making available. We don't need them to go through all these uh, uh, tests again. We have mm -hmm. the access to the data. Why don't we immediately provide them care, which will help with the improved health outcomes? No, I love that. Save so much money, save so much frustration for everyone. Uh, we have Susan in the audience. Uh, she is uh, piggybacking a, a, a good uh, question that Charles posed earlier. And um, uh, it's a little, let me, it's basically around shifting our exchange model to shift from encounter focus to condition problem focus, which I thought was genius. It would help uh, to hone in on the specific data. So she's uh, posed a question kind of following up on Charles's, basically really focusing on getting the right data to do more, um, I guess, treating the patient as a whole. And uh, so I would love to get, she and I and everyone would love to get your thoughts on this one. Yeah, Susan, uh, you have a good point. When we talk about the current CMS patient access API mandate, it not only focuses on encounter, it focuses on clinical data as well. There is greater emphasis in the industry that I, as a patient, if I'm going to Dr. Z and I'm going through various observations, lab work, all the data elements should be captured. Now, unfortunately, we are at a stage in the industry based on my experience working with 5 million beneficiaries handling 400 plus million claims, 10 million clinical records, that industry is not ready to interoperable, like to share the clinical information with the patients. I hardly see the, the, some stakeholders in the industry who have access to that kind of data, which they can exchange with a beneficiary. So I agree with you that we are making the claims and encounter data available to beneficiary, but there are a lot of entities who are still not able to share the conditions or uh, clinical observations with the patient, which will be more useful for these beneficiaries since they will have access to the end-to-end -end history and which can be definitely utilized for improved health outcomes. Yeah, that was, that's, I guess, the whole um, part of really helping empower patients and their providers working together, working smarter, not harder. And I think the biggest thing right now is we're still a fee for service uh, healthcare model. And basically it's, you know, data in to get what you need. And it's, um, oh, I guess this is really what the question is coming from this is, you know, right now it seems like there's a lot of separate, uh, you know, with the coding, getting paid, and then a lot of disconnect with the actual condition. So 
Um, maybe that's a little bit of what we were talking about a second ago, but uh, will this help that where we're, we're kind of unifying uh, the approach to, to uh, taking care of our patients? It, it seems currently right now, there's two different medical records, one just really to get paid and the other doctors or, or clinicians are putting in what they do to get paid rather than treating the patient per se. So we are not uh, trying to take away anyone's job or make anything redundant. There will still be financial data and there will still be medical data for the patients. Only thing we are trying to uh, say is there are a lot of uh, administrative overheads. Can we remove those overheads? Can we uh, remove the uh, uh, burden or uh, the challenges with the data exchange? Can we make a healthcare available at the tip of your fingers? That it, as a beneficiary, you have access to everything. You can make it available to anyone you would like. You can authorize anyone in your family to access your records. Once we have all that uh, available, then uh, we are only talking about implementing these standards across the current legacy processes. See, I just want to make this clear that we are not trying to change the entire system, replace the entire system. We are only talking about putting up a wrapper around the current system so that we improve the efficiency of current processes and make it easy to use. And I just wanted to post uh, what Charles said is sort of what you just said, <laughs> just really creating the clinical situations and scenarios, really uh, uh, not changing the system, just making them better. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're on this journey right now, this fire interoperability journey. And what do you see as the next steps? So uh, as we talked about it, uh, the next steps are some of the upcoming feature mandates. Because until now, we just wanted to see that can we replicate the blue button 2.0 model? Now we are taking the next uh, next leap of faith. We are trying to ensure that we are empowering the beneficiary. They will be able to see the cost of any treatment even before going for that procedure using patient cost transparency. They will have uh, controls whether they want to access their data from previous health plan or they want to make that data available to their providers. And with the use of electronic prior authorization, Michael, you can just imagine a lot of the time that we are waiting for prior authorization for some of the key procedures as well. With the electronic prior authorization, we are talking about exchange of that information within seconds, if not minutes. It will transform the healthcare. Only key here is that all the stakeholders, they have to understand that no one is trying to replace their existing processes. We are only trying to bring efficiencies so that the data is accessible and we can then uh, perform meaningful use of that data to improve the outcomes as well as reduce the cost with the administrative processes. Yeah, um, I'm so glad you could make it here tonight. Um, where are you geographically? You are you're in the DC area, correct? Uh, I'm based in Ellicott City, Maryland. Okay. All right. And uh, I, I think what's so amazing is is that um, I imagine, and, and maybe you can attest to this, all these stakeholder groups are throughout the country. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And where, where do you meet? Do you meet sometimes in Texas? Do you meet sometimes in Florida? Or are they most of the times up in D.C. because it's federal and policy issues? Or are they, how does that go? So usually the, we have quarterly HL7 fire connectathons where the, we just get to collaborate with the stakeholder. And these are technical working sessions where we work together as a group, test out those configurations. 
come up with it, uh, uh, the issues in those configuration and work together as a group to resolve those issues. Apart from that, we have regular weekly cadence. Anyone in the industry can join the weekly meetings. It's readily available on the HL7 website. If you are a member, you can attend. But awesome. uh, the key is that uh, these are all the working collaborators where everyone has the equal share. They have the equal voice where they can uh, talk about their real life day-to-day -day scenarios. They can talk about uh, the challenges they are facing. And we have communities like chat.fire.org where I'm a regular participant. People pose their question and there are industry experts who are immediately available within a couple of hours to help them address their questions. Cool. Well, um, thank you everyone for joining us tonight on Planetary Health First, Mars Next. Thank you, Ankit, for leading us through this. We will be having uh, a newsletter next week and uh, Ankit will have some of his articles, uh, some follow-up information, some takeaways from tonight. And uh, please make sure you keep your eye on that. And uh, we will um, allow, uh, you, you know, we'll, we'll get some good uh, information um, out there. Is there anything else, Ankit, that we should put in there that we should, that you want to share with the audience right now? Um, uh, I think that uh, uh, we have an opportunity to bring a real change. As I mentioned that I do post regular uh, articles and I do post regular videos on my YouTube channel called Fire Ninja. I would love to connect with more stakeholders, especially the participants from your show, right? I'm really grateful for you to invite me to this show and having this opportunity to have interaction with a lot of these stakeholders who have real insight about the industry challenges, right? So this is our opportunity to bring the real impact. Let's make it happen. Awesome. Thank I you so much to connect with all of you if you are open to have further conversations. Thanks a lot, everyone. Yes. Thank you so much. And you everyone have a great night. Thank you very much. Have a great Bye. night, everyone.